The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, good morning. Welcome to The Grove. If I have not had the privilege of meeting you before, I just want to say welcome. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors on staff. Stoked that you are here as we are continuing in a series that we started two weeks ago entitled Behind the Music, uh, Message on Life-Changing Lyrics. And really, this series is for you and I. It's focused in on worship, specifically in the context of corporate wor- worship or music, uh, maybe it's the worship you know that you listen to as you drive around. The old uh, eight tracks you're still putting in your car, the cassette tapes, right? One hundred five three. Actually, had somebody I said that in the last service, and they came up and said, "I listen to one hundred five three. And I was like, "I'm really sorry. I was not meaning that. That if you listen to it, that it's bad. But honestly, right? Because pause for a moment. We know that worship on the macro scale is everything, right? Like worship in the macro, the biggest level is all of our lives. In fact, you can see the Apostle Paul say several different times in the New Testament, both in Philippians chapter 2 and 2 Timothy 4, he gives almost an identical illustration to two different groups of people. He said, my life is poured out like an offering to God and a sacrifice to who he is, right, in worship. And so on the macro scale, we know that worship is everything we do. But specifically for this series, we're talking about worship in the corporate context of what we do together, the first 15 or 20 minutes of a service is a series um, on a topic that's very um, special to me. Um, I've been involved in worship for, oh, leading worship, playing instruments since I was, I don't know, 16, um, 17 years old. I've been a worship leader since I was, you know, 19, 20. I was a worship pastor for five years before I came here. Worship is one of my favorite things on this entire planet is worship in this context of music and singing. But I also understand that we each come from different places, right, in our walk and our relationship with who God is. And so your perspective of, of how you come in, there's, I don't know, two or 300 people here today, this morning. We do this service four different times. So somewhere in the realm of a 1,000 different people, I would say that I would pretty much understand that we, we might not all have the same perspective of what we're thinking of how we engage worship when we come in and stand here and the music starts, right? You may be somebody, for an example, you may be somebody, you love worship, You're like, Ryan, let me tell you, I am here. I am never late. I am in my seat because the first moment that that band starts playing, man, I want to be here, right? Worship for you might be your favorite thing or or one of the favorite things about a church. In fact, a lot of people, one of the top four things that they will choose to either make that church their home um, is based on, and this is no particular order, the speaker, the pastor, the culture of the church, worship. And if they have students, you know, teenagers, then student ministries. And if you have children, the kids' ministries, right? These are the top four reasons. And worship is usually one of those top four. It's important to us. And so for some of us, we come and we might love it. There might be a different group of people where maybe you're like, Ryan, I, it's okay. It's good. I, I, I just really, I don't really know why. Why do we worship? Well, why do we spend the first 15 minutes singing together? I just, I'm, not, I'm just not really sure why. I'm just indifferent to it. It's good. It's fine. The singers are great. The band is great. There's never any train wrecks where the music gets way off and we have to stop and, you know, but, but I just don't really know why. And that's okay. E- either of those places is okay. I've been there on, on both of them. There might be some of us that might say, Ryan, if I'm really honest with you, worship is awkward. When I come in and we sing together, it's awkward. Like, I mean, I don't, why are people raising their hands and we're singing these songs and the band's up here kind of going, is it, is, I mean, why do we do this? Is it, it's just a little weird. Is it just because it's, I don't know, it, people want to come and be a part of music because it's cool, so it's somehow uh, just relational and we can reach out to people and, 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 and it might grow the church because we have good music, uh, but it's awkward. I, can we just skip past the first 15 minutes and just get to the message? Just give me the word. I just want the meat, right? For some of us, and I've been there. 
And, and hear this, no matter where you're at in the story, this is not a message of condemnation. I've been in every single one of those camps at some point in my journey of figuring out who God is, right? And the reality is, is that regardless of what place you might find yourself, and again, that's not an exhaustive list uh, of different groupings or perspectives that we can have when we come into corporate worship, but no matter what grouping you find yourself in, there's always hurdles or obstacles that can stand in our way from engaging or participating in worship, right? Let me give you just a couple examples, right? For some of us, the idea of participating in worship and a hurdle that we can't get past is, honestly, and this was the biggest one for me in my journey was, man, I was worried about what people thought about me. I mean, if I start singing, I start doing something, man. And again, for me, I went to church every Sunday. I was raised in church. Went to church every Wednesday night for youth. Never in my life did I sing a song until I went on my first mission trip and God rocked my world. I'm going to tell you that story in just a little bit. Never would I sing. Why? If I'm really honest, at 15 and a half years old, I was worried about my reputation. I was a jock, you know, or I don't know what it is about being in high school. We're always want to make sure we look the right way, that, that we were with the right people, right? We, I mean, girls and guys, we'll spend tons of time getting ready before we got the door. We're really worried about our reputation, which, pause for a moment, doesn't completely stop when you become an adult, okay? So, right? We're, we're worried, but th that was me. I was really worried about what I would look like and what my reputation if I were to engage in worship, and so I never did it. And that's a hurdle for some of us, right? For some of us, a hurdle is, Ryan, I can't sing, I mean, we've all seen The Little Mermaid. I'm no Ariel, let me tell you. In fact, I'm a little more like Scuttle, the seagull, that sounds like an animal's dying when I sing. And I just don't want to distract anybody. Right? That's a hurdle for some of us. For others of us, it's a hurdle is a style of music. Well, that's just not my favorite style of music. I just don't connect with that kind of music. I mean, give me that gospel music, or I want this type of music, or I want country. I almost threw up when I said it. I'm really sorry. <laughs> Country music, right? We all love music, but we don't all love the same kinds of music, right? Can we just agree to that, right? So the reality, sometimes that's a hurdle for us. We don't like the style of what it is. For some of us, we have a critical spirit. And again, I don't say this anymore in condemnation I did anything else because it's not meant that way at all. But let's be honest, some of us have a hurdle to entering into worship on a Sunday morning when we're together because worship isn't what we think it should be. Oh, we need to go back to hymns because hymns are theologically sound. And all these songs are these days is just a bunch of feelings and emotion and poetry and all this stuff. And we need to get back there. Pause for a moment. I love hymns. I'm not saying that hymns are bad. I'm also not saying that those aren't some valid points. But if it stops us from engaging with our creator, it becomes a hurdle and it's not healthy. These are hurdles and obstacles that get in our way. One more. Typically, this is lent to guys. Guys, I'm going to pick on you for a second, okay? All right, because I am one. I'm going to do it. And let me preface this in two ways. Not every guy fits in this category. And not only guys fit in this category, but predominantly, there's kind of this feeling that when it comes to worship, is this idea of, well, you know, worship, Ryan, is just, it's just not my ministry. I mean, you need me to build something for you. You need me to fix something. You need me to come and do a parking team. You need me to cook you some food. You want me to go do some street ministry and homeless people? I'm in. Singing's just not my ministry. I've even had individuals throw scripture at me in this, okay? And hang with me a little bit here. It's a little bit of hyperbole, but they'll say Ryan, the Bible, Paul says that the church is a body and each of us are a part of the body and not everybody's a hand and not everybody's a foot and worship's just not my ministry. So let me pause for a second. While that's true, and, and, but I, I, do, I know I say it kind of funny, but I want to say this, I want you to hear this. And fellas, I, I just, I have this sense that some, somebody in here, probably a lot of somebody's need to hear this. Yes, your ministry might not be gifted to come up and lead people in worship, but that does not mean that worship wasn't created and you created for it. 
And I know that at 15 and a half years old, completely distracted, seemed very feminine to me, seemed girly. Any girl of any age could sing totally fine. They're not weird. If you're under the age of 35 as a guy and you're singing, there's something wrong with you. That's what I thought. That's what I felt. And while no, it may not be your ministry to lead worship, you are created, and we're gonna talk about that in a second, to worship, and it was created for you in a powerful way. Guys, man, music's just not my, worship's just not, I'm just, singing's not my thing. Ironically, also, as a sub-point, to that is I remember when I was a teenager, my buddies and I were a part of uh, FCA. You guys remember Fellowship of Christian Athletes? You guys remember that at all? Nobody remembers that. Okay, well, I was a part of this thing called Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Saw a few hands. Um, and we would get together and we'd play, you know, pick up basketball at night and stuff. And then one of the guys that led it would uh, give a message and, and those kind of things, right? I remember we'd drive to and from that. These same guys would come to me, um, come with me, and we'd go to Young Life, right? We, we, they'd come to youth group with me, right? And their idea was, man, I don't sing. I mean, we'd stand there and, and I'd be in the back spitting spit wads with them and all this stuff until my life got rocked. But I remember this as singing is just not my thing until we drove away from Young Life or drove away from youth group and blaring music in the car and rocking out as a, like a grifter, I was born to walk alone, right? Right, these same guys that weren't singers, man, in the locker room before a Friday night football game were blaring corn or Rage Against the Machine or something that would pump them up and we're singing, right? We love music. And a lot of us, again, not only guys and not all guys, but a lot of us, I wanna tell you this, We'll use that statement that singing's just not for me, it's not my ministry, and we'll use that as the deal when really there's another hurdle or roadblock above that, which is the real reason why we won't. We're worried about what people will think, or it seems girly or feminine, or I can't sing, or maybe it's that I just don't even know why we do this. There's every tracking so far. There's these roadblocks that can get in our way from engaging in worship. I love this series because it's great for all of us to understand that we are faced with the opportunity to worship. It's an opportunity to meet with our creator, and yet it has hurdles and distractions that keep us from engaging in that. We're going to address those today. If you missed the series start two weeks ago, Pastor Nick started, and what we're doing is we're actually tackling an actual song, looking at the words and kind of talking about the context of how it was written and why it was written. And we're trying to kind of give different, you know, you know it's been a long period of, of the church existence, right? Thousands of years. The music has certainly changed in a lot of different ways. We can't hit every single one of them. But the first one we started with was Come Thou Fount, right? It was a, uh, it was a hymn that we sang, okay? And, and today we're jumping into the 90s, right? Coming back to the heart of worship. We sang it in worship, but some of you thought, man, it is Throwback Thursday on a Sunday, okay? Right? 20 to 30 years ago, this song was written. I want to give you some context behind it. This song was born out of a very specific, difficult season for Matt Redman. He's the author of the song. And the season that his church was walking through called Soul Survivor Church in Watford, England. And his lead pastor's name was Mike Pilavachi. And what they had seen is a surgence in worship. They had seen incredible musicianship rise to another level. They had seen creativity through songwriting come out in brand new ways. God was uh, inspiring new creation and new songs and new things, which, by the way, if you think that God and his creative nature ended however long ago with your favorite style of music, I'm just here to tell you and challenge you. You might want to think about that. God's still creative. That doesn't mean that every song is perfect or good or theologically accurate. We need to be aware of those things. I'm just simply saying he was creating. And their church was kind of getting put on the map. 
And Matt's uh, reputation and influence was much expanded beyond England at this time as he wrote this song. I mean, we were singing his songs at church when I was in youth, you know, in the mid and early and late 90s. And, and by all intents and purposes, when you look at what was happening for their church, it was incredible. You would have said, man, this is a place I want to be, and the congregation is growing, and tons of people are coming, and there's fame and all this stuff with it. And yet Pastor Mike, in one of the services, had this gut check that something was wrong. Something was missing. And he tells this story, and you can find it on YouTube. You can Google it. And he is this, and he was not what I thought he would be, right? This huge, you know, well-known pastor, all this stuff. Matt Red, the Matt Redman's pastor. Dude, the video that I watched, I mean, he looks like he's frumpy with a tie-dye shirt and some frizzy hair, right? But he was incredible. And he's telling the story. You can watch it. But in essence, he said, as a pastor, when you find a problem, you try to fix it. And so, so man, what is wrong? What is wrong? It's got to be the PA system. It's too loud. And he tells the story. He went to the sound guy and said, turn it down. And the sound guy said, no. <laughs> and then he tells this joke. And this is not our sound guys, okay? But this is his joke. He said, and then he stops and this, he's telling the story. And he goes, and you guys know the joke about, you know, the difference between a sound guy and a terrorist, right? You can negotiate with terrorists, right? So, right? <laughs> so, but, but he said, but we, we, we tried to chase some stuff. It's like, it was the same. Still something was missing. He said, then I, I he goes, I, I, oh, I know what it is. The songs are just too slow. It's too lethargic and held back. We need to speed up the beats per minute. We need to speed up the song because there'll be more energy in it. And he says, and we changed it. And the next week, the only thing that changed is that we got done with worship way faster than we did the week before. <laughs> There's still something missing. And ultimately, he said, eventually he came to the realization, he said, I realized that our church had become consumers of worship. That the focus on what worship was had changed and no longer was it on Jesus and lifting him up and getting to know him and, and waiting to listen to him and, and offering a sacrifice. It had become about the lights. It had become about the fame. It had become about all these other things, unintentionally, but it had become these things. He said, I'd have people come up to me. He said, it grieved my heart. He goes, I'd have individuals come up to me on a Sunday and say, I just couldn't worship today. I mean, the music was just too loud. I couldn't worship. He goes, I have a handful of people tell me that. He said, ironically, the same Sunday, I'd have the same group of people come a few minutes later and say, man, I just couldn't worship today. The music was too quiet today. He said, I have people come up and say, man, I just couldn't connect and worship today. The song selection, I mean, it's just too, I mean, I think we did that chorus like 28 times and, and, and the worship leader decided to talk through the whole thing and then the song selection, just, I just didn't really connect with those. Can we do some more hymns? He said, somebody else would come up and say, man, I just, I just couldn't worship today. I mean, clearly we didn't have the A team. And maybe you can't have all those players on the A team, your best musicians play, but could you at least get the drummer? Could we just pay him to play every time? Because, man, he is really, really good and just flows with the spirit. I just couldn't worship because we kind of got off today. And he said, I didn't say this to those individuals. He says, but it grieved my heart. This is Pastor Mike, pastor of the church. He said, it grieved my heart because I thought to myself, you, you, you can't worship today because the music's too loud? Like, I remember that Paul was in prison in, in Philippians waiting to potentially be executed, and it says that he was worshiping God. Wait, wait, you, you, you can't worship today because, because you didn't connect with, with the songs, the song selection, with the ones you liked, but, but I remember the first century Christians when persecution was at its height and literally historical documents that talked about that they would worship as they were being thrown to the lions to be devoured. But, but you, you can't worship because... It's too quiet today. And so he realized that the church had come and become consumers of worship, focused just on all the wrong things. Pause for a moment. That doesn't mean that good music is bad. God is an incredible creator. I mentioned that already. It doesn't mean that we can't have those things, 
right? I mean, if you've ever been in a service where, you know, something gets off and, and it completely is a train wreck, nobody's thinking about Jesus in that moment, right? Like, like high quality excellence in worship is good, but if that becomes a focus was the point and we start looking at other things and we aren't looking at Jesus, then we're missing it. And so he said next week, he said, I had to do something radical. He said, I basically met with Matt and I said, Matt, the Matt Redmond, hey, um, yeah, things are going awesome, and you're known all over the world. Hey, we're not doing worship next week. We're getting rid of the PA system. No singers, no musicians, no anything. And we're just going to come as a church, and we're going to say, told the church, we're just going to come together, and we're just going to, we're not going to do this anymore because we're not doing it the right way. So he said, the first two weeks of doing this, literally, imagine coming in on a Sunday and sitting down, and we just all sit here like this. He said it was painstakingly awkward. It was horrendous. He said, we did it for two weeks. He said, somebody on my staff came up to me leading into the third Sunday and said, Pastor Mike, we can't do this again. We, we, we can't do, we are gonna, people are gonna start leaving our church and all of this stuff that we've built and you've built and that God has done, it's all gonna be for nothing and the church is gonna close. We can't do this again. And Pastor Mike said, this was his response. He just said, you know, if our church, if we can't come back and bring a true offering and a sacrifice of praise to God, then I'm okay with this church no longer existing because what's the point? He says it came into the third week and at the beginning it was exactly the same as it had been the two before. And then he said eventually somebody piped up and said, God, I thank you for, and they listed what they were thankful for. And a few minutes went by and somebody else in the congregation in attendance that day, said, God, I am thankful for. And they listed what they were thankful for. He said, we went into the next week. And again, somebody said, God, I'm so sorry that I've done this. And, and, and would you forgive me and thank you for your grace? Somebody else. And then all of a sudden, he said, somebody, after it had been quiet for a few minutes, just simply piped up and began to sing a song. And they did it a cappella. It was a simple song that they all knew. And the congregation just joined in with this song. And then they ended and then a few minutes later, somebody else just began to sing a song. And he said, we just did this for a few weeks. And he said, finally, he came to Matt. And he said, Matt, I think our church is ready to take a step. We've done this for a few weeks. I think we're ready to take a step. I don't want the full band. I don't want the full lights. I don't want the, the whole thing. I just want you and just you and your guitar. And it was in this place that Matt began to tell his pastor, this is what God's been doing in me simultaneously to this very awkward and painful season as a church. Because imagine being the worship pastor of a church and your pastor comes to you and says, we need to stop doing worship because it's, it's, we're missing it. It's terrible. You, you, right? He began to you hear him tell the story. Matt was like, man, I felt like it was my fault. I was questioning, like, God, what are, you, what are you trying to say in this? Do I need to give this up? I mean, you know, there's all these things going on. And it was through that painstaking season that he communicated with his lead pastor as he came to meet with him saying, hey, let's take a step. And he said, I wrote this song over the course of the last month or so, would it be okay, he showed him the song, could we sing that together? Would it be okay if I led that with the church? And it's that season, that tough season is when Matt penned these lines of the song that we sang today. I just want to read them to you just very quickly. Matt simply wrote, when the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth, that will bless your heart. King of endless worth, no one could express how much you deserve. And though I'm weak and I'm poor, all I have is yours, every single breath. And I'll bring you more than a song because a song in itself is not what you have required. 
You search much deeper within. Through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. And out of this came the chorus, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. And it's all about you, Jesus. And I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing that I've made it. Because it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Like Soul Survivor Church and the obstacles and the distractions that had come in their way of what the purpose of worship was, the same types of opportunities for obstacles and distractions happen for you and I. And we talked through just a basic list of what some of those are. I'm sure there are others that keep us from engaging in worship. And we asked that question. I don't know if you ever thought this before. Why? Like, why do we worship? Why, does it matter? Is it doing anything? Is it just attractional? So more people come because it's cool. Like, why do we worship? We worship because it's very, very important to God. In fact, if you look at the Old Testament, the predominant theme, and it also leads into the New Testament, the predominant theme is two things, worship and idolatry. I'm going to say that again. It's worship and idolatry, right? You've got this chosen nation of Israel that God has chosen, predestined, said, I'm choosing you to be my mouthpiece. It's through you that you're going to be an example, and the miracles are going to happen, and crazy stuff's going to happen, and all the other nations of the world are going to know that I'm real, that I'm the name above all names. I'm the king above all kings. I'm the God above all gods. All other gods are lowercase g, and I'm the uppercase g, and I'm going to use you to do this. And we read those stories, right? Right? You've got the, you ever wonder to yourself, like, can you guys not get it? Like things are going well, and then you turn away from God and things don't go well. And then you end up as slaves for hundreds and hundreds of years, and then I deliver you in a miraculous way out of Egypt, right? I part the Red Sea, stuff we wish we could see. God, would you do miracles like that? I want to see that happen again. This is, we see this, and then they turn away again, right? And then they're worshiping gods of other nations, right? And then they come back to him, and then they're, you know, exiled, and then they're back again. You ever notice that? It all comes back to the common denominator, which is so simple. Wars and battles and captivity and David and Goliath and turning away from God and kings that did evil in the sight of the Lord. It all comes back to the point of worship and idolatry. In fact, if you look at the actual scriptural verse of what God says to Moses through the burning bush in that idea when he tells him to go to Pharaoh, what does he say? He says, go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. There's also a rest of that sentence because that's usually where we stop, right? He said, go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go so that they might worship me in the wilderness. It's always about worship and idolatry. And if you're wondering what idolatry is, idolatry is putting anything before God, anything in your life that comes before God. For Israel, it was worshiping other gods of other nations and melting down their gold to make a calf as Moses is up on Mount Sinai, literally meeting face to face with God to get the Ten Commandments. They couldn't even wait that long. And you might be saying, but Ryan, I don't, I got no golden calves at home. Like, I mean, idolatry, that must have been Old Testament. I'm not, I don't have a pole, you know, put up in the back of my yard, an Asherah pole and, and worshiping that. Like idols, idolatry doesn't happen anymore. Church, you, you have to hear this. If, if you are not aware that there are idols in our lives and the potential to be taken away from him, I'm telling you, you won't know that, that you've turned away and going towards something else. No, you may not have a golden calf or an Asherah pole. You're not, maybe you're, you love God and you're not in, in some other religion of the world. But can I tell you, what about the idolatry of self? What I want, when I want, how I want it. 
What about the idolatry of, of money and possessions and the pursuit that our lives are all built around that? What about the idolatry of comfort? Like my idea is that, man, if anything's going bad with me, then man, I'm, I'm upset with God because I thought everything was supposed to go perfect if I followed him and I believed him. My life, I just want it to be comfortable. I don't want to be out there on the edge. I don't want to be persecuted by something. Right? We do have idols. There's the potential for idols in our lives, and this is what we see from that predominant theme in the Old Testament. It transfers through to the New Testament as well. Hang with me. Right? Hang with me for just a moment. On one level, no. Right? I mean, God, in essence, has said, he's saying this. You were created. Part of your spiritual DNA is to worship. You are a worshiper. You, you do give praise to things, and I'm calling you to worship me because when you worship, if you don't worship me, you're going to worship something else, and when you worship something else, it's going to take you away from me, and the farther you get away from me, the worse things are going to go for you, but if you stay close to me and worship me because it's part of your DNA, it's who I've created in you to be, that's when things will go well. Yeah, life's going to happen, but I'm there with you. It's exponential when you decide to, to move away from me. The ultimate part would be, and the worst thing is that you don't know me and I don't know you and you end up separated from me for eternity. You and I were created for worship. We were created for worship. Why do we worship? Jesus said the greatest commandment. When somebody asked him, what's the greatest commandment? What did Jesus say? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. He didn't say just love him with all your mind, not just with your intellect. He didn't say just love him with your strength, that you just do a bunch of stuff for him. It was an illustration that every part of a person's being is to worship God, be devoted to him, because if not, you'll be lured and enticed away. And the farther away from me you get, the worse it's going to happen, and the worse things will be for you. Why do we worship? I love Matthew 18, 20, probably one of the most well-known verses out there. I'm sure you've heard this a million times. Right, it's the idea that we're two or more gathered. There I am in the midst with them. Pause. Yes, God is omnipresent. He is all places at all times. But something special happens when we come together. Something special. This isn't just some service, not just something to check off a list of things to do. When you come here, there is opportunity to meet with your creator. Something special happens when we gather together. When we come into his presence, there's an opportunity to connect with our creator, to lift him up because he's worthy, not lift him up because I connected with the songs today or the music was the right volume. We worship him because he's worthy. It's to be in his presence, to be reminded that the most important thing in our lives is him, right? To take our minds off of our worries, off of our troubles, off of our desires or our busyness and back on him. One of the coolest things, we sang another great song today. And I wrote this notes. I didn't have this before this morning, but I, I jotted a few notes in here as I was sitting in the front row worshiping. You ever have one of those Sundays where you wish you could just keep worshiping? Today was one of those days, but I just love the song. Waymaker, miracle worker, light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. And even when I don't see it, you're working. And even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. When we come and we worship, it reminds us of truth. It takes our view and our focus off of the stuff and the obstacles and the impossibilities 
and the depression and the anxiety and the worry and the doubt, and it puts it back on the one, and it reminds us of the truth of who he is. That's what happens in worship. Why do we worship? Psalm 96, verses 7 through 9. O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in all his splendor. Let all the earth tremble before him. Does that ring of a theme that was also penned by Matt in the song that we sang today, coming back to the heart of worship? Longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. This goes back and speaks these lyrics to the system of bringing God's sacrifices and offerings. And on one level, no. In the old system, the Israelites brought sacrifices and offerings for salvation. It's what atoned for their sin. But it doesn't happen that way anymore through the cross because Jesus paid the ultimate price for us, right? We don't have to bring those things for salvation anymore. But some are very confused and thinking that I don't need to bring anything anymore. I don't need to bring any type of sacrifice or offering because Jesus already paid it. The problem is, is that Jesus came to fulfill it, not abolish the law, right? He came and it changed. It didn't stop. It changed. And we see this with the Apostle Paul again. And we won't like this very much because before it was you need to bring 10%. You got to bring the best of your herd. You got to bring the best of what you have to me to atone for your sin. We like it way better that it's a free gift and I don't have to do anything anymore. This isn't a tithes and offerings message. I'm just telling you the, the, the principle is the same. And what you find with Paul is he says this. He says in Romans 12:1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We end the way we started. Worship on the macro is our whole life. Here's another verse. We've, we say it often, and you'll hear it often at memorials and funerals. You'll hear the, the line from Paul that says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Why do you hear that? Because it is such a foreign thought, the second part of that. It almost doesn't make any sense in the practical. Like Paul is vacillating between two. He says, I'm torn. Part of me wants to stay here for the betterment of the church, but there's a lot of part of me that wants to die and go be with Jesus. Most of us, self-protection. Okay, we don't, we don't look forward to dying. It's a foreign thought. But the first part of that verse is as powerful as the second. For me to live is Christ. Everything I have is for him. It should be a sacrifice. My life is poured out like a sacrifice to him. I want to close simply with a couple of questions for you. Why do we worship? What hurdles, when you come in, in this first 15 to 20 minutes of a service every Sunday, what hurdles are standing in your way from engaging in worship? When I was 15 and a half years old, told you part of the story already, I went to church every Sunday, every Wednesday, not once did I ever sing. On Sundays, I mind my P's and Q's because I sat next to my parents, but on Wednesday night, not quite the same. I was in the back spitting spit wads, I was doing all those things, but I went on a mission trip team, basically fumbled my way into it because I went for all the wrong reasons. It was a month long, and I was on this team, and God was doing some incredible things on this team. I was in a service just like this. And we're having a worship service, and, and our team came out, and we were singing, and the preacher, just like I am, was saying, hey, I'm going to ask the question to you that he asked to me because it changed my life forever. He simply said, and the music's going, he just simply says, 
when it comes to worship and this idea of engaging in worship and these hurdles that we have in our way and all these reasons why we keep it at arm's length because we feel silly or we don't understand it or we don't want to look foolish or whatever it is, what if there was something more? What if you were missing out on something that God had created specifically for you, an empowerment, a relationship, a closeness that would keep you from tearing away towards other things, being enticed by other things that you see in the news or media or your friends or whatever somebody tells you you should do? What if there was more? What if there was something you were missing out on? And I want to tell you, in that moment as I sat there, I had everything to lose, 15 and a half, jock, going to be quarterback, captain of the football team the next year as a junior. All of these things that I had this image, and I, and I say that not for any other reason than I was just a moron. I just was living for all the wrong things. My image and all of that, who my friends were, were based in this identity that wasn't really me, but I thought it gave me place, and I was afraid. It's not like in that moment of that service, all of a sudden I wasn't afraid anymore, or I wasn't worried about what people would think. It's still my f- people that went to my school that we could go back after we get back from this mission team and tell other friends of mine what I was doing. This was a song and dance team for the love of everything sacred. How I ended up on this team, I do not know. Because it makes no sense. And yet in that moment, in the midst of fear, I asked myself the question. The Holy Spirit was moving on me. Nobody comes to the Father except through the Spirit. Nobody comes to him unless the Spirit draws him. And I decided, I just simply prayed this question, God, if you, if, if there's something I'm missing out on, if there's more to this worship thing, because Because I don't know, it seems weird to me. It seems foolish to me. It seems awkward to me. All of these things. But God, if you're in it, and if it's real, then I just want to know. And I took a step. I just took a step. I didn't go crazy, right? I didn't do the full hand raise, okay? I wasn't at that point yet. I did the half hand raise, okay? But it was a step. And I lowered my defenses a little bit, and I said, God, if you're real, and if this is real, then I just simply want to know. In a moment, it happened for me. I'm not saying that's what will happen for you. My parents tell me that when I come back from that team, my mom will still say it to me. A lot of you is still the same, but a whole lot of you is completely different when you came back. Why? Because when you meet with your creator in a real way and you let down your defenses and you don't let some obstacle get in your way because you're scared or you're worried or it doesn't make sense, whatever it is, when you meet with him and he speaks to you things that nobody else knows, when your heart gets so close to him that you almost, it feels like it's beating at the same beats per minute, that you're in sync with him and you know he's real, you don't care what anybody else thinks. You could flip and make fun of me as much as you want. I was going back to school. I knew that I was a changed person. I had no idea what was gonna happen, but I didn't care. Because it changed the moment we let our guard down and we let these obstacles fall away because the most important thing is connecting with him, your savior, your creator. When you're close to him, there's an empowerment that happens and it changes your life and puts you into a place where you find your destiny and your true purpose of who you are. But some of us are letting the obstacles stand in our way. What I'm not doing and what I'm not gonna ask you to do is to perform somehow. I'm not gonna have you all stand up and say, I wanna see you sing and I want you to go through it. I just simply want you to ask the question, God, is this real? Am I missing out on something that you've created for me but because of whatever else is in the way, I'm missing out on something that I wanna know. Here's my promise. That if you earnestly do that, he will meet you in that spot. And your life has changed forever. Let me pray for you this morning. God, we thank you. You're so good to us. God, you've created this thing of worship for every single one of us. God, I pray for no matter where each of us are at in this journey. God, no condemnation. God, we're all on this process trying to figure you out. But God, we just want you to be real. We want to know if you're real. God, we want you to speak to us. 
God, like Soul Survivor Church or like, like a little moron me at 15 and a half years old that have these obstacles in our ways. God, if there's something that's holding us back, God, would you identify it? And in the midst of the fear, would you give us the courage just to take a step to engage you? And God, I pray and I know that you will be real and you will meet us in that place. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.